Welcome to the Ark Church Podcast. On here, you'll find all of our Sunday and Wednesday messages, as well as classes and special services. If you would like more information about the Ark Church, visit us at thearkchurch.com or download our app available to all app stores. Our heart for you is that you would live for God, grow stronger, and make a difference. Enjoy. Let's pray, and then we're going to jump into the book of James again. Got a lot to cover tonight. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful and so grateful that we have an opportunity to come. Thank you that we have a nice building to meet in. Thank you that this place is air conditioned and we thank you for that. Thank you, Father, for, for those who've made the effort to come tonight, for those who are watching online. We thank you in all labor there is profit. And Father, I just ask that you would speak through me and anoint me with your spirit so that the words speak and they hit home and they make difference and they strengthen us. And we walk out of here stronger and different than how we came in. And we'll give you all the praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So all the beautiful people are here tonight. Is that right? That's good. Well, y'all are finally starting to catch on to that. I mean, it's like, yeah, he's talking to me. Yes, he is. He is, he is talking to you. How many of you know you look good to God? Aren't you glad God doesn't look at you and go, hmm, that hair color is just not working for me. We're his children. We look good to him. Book of James, we were talking last week about, about, um, Asking for wisdom. I mean, we, we asked for wisdom. You asked for wisdom over the course of this, this week. You said, Lord, I need some wisdom. And I asked for wisdom. Good, great. Let's put this into practice. Now let's talk about the enemy of, of that. And that is doubt. James 1, 6 through 8 says, we're asking for wisdom. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Notice it didn't say the Lord didn't give it. It just says he won't receive. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So let's talk a little bit about the enemy of doubt. Um, first thing is, do not call yourself a doubter. I've heard people say, well, I'm, you know, I'm just an old doubter. You're not a doubter, you're a believer. And so don't call yourself a doubter, it's not helping you. To doubt means to hesitate, to waver, to be of two opinions. It involves the idea of separating. And one of the, I think one of the best examples is not necessarily found in James. It's found in Matthew where Peter is the example of Peter walking on the water. So let's just read that. It's a classic example of doubt. Matthew 14, 26 through 32. And when the disciples saw him, that's Jesus walking on the sea, they were troubled. They said, it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer. It is I do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. So let's talk just a little bit about that. Peter's example of doubt Peter stepped out on Jesus' word to come. Now, again, before we knock Peter, he was the only one that got out of the boat. And so we have to give him credit. No one else had walked on water except for Jesus. So Jesus is coming. He's walking on the water. He did walk on the water. Spiritual things are real. And, and so on, just on the, on the strength of Jesus' word, he got out of the boat. He's walking on the water. Now, some people go, do you really believe that? I absolutely do. Because I believe the God who created the heavens and the earth has a spiritual realm that supersedes this realm. And so spiritual things are real. And so just simply walking, walking on Jesus' word, he said, come. 
And so Peter got out. He's doing fine. He's walking on the water. Now, I, I was raised in church. You read this story. I tried. You know, every, every, when you're a kid, you're like, you're going to try to walk on, on water? That is not, you just don't get too far. And, uh, and so he's walking on the, on the water. I have skipped across the water, water skiing sometimes, fell, you know, fell off the tube and rolled across the water. But Peter's walking on the water and he said he's doing well. He's doing good. And then he starts noticing, he said, the wind. And it was stormy and he saw the waves and beginning to sink. And so the idea is he's doing great. He's looking at Jesus. But then he takes his eyes off Jesus. He starts looking around at the, at the wind and, and the waves. And he, and he starts to doubt. Now, think about it. Walking on the water, if it's stormy or calm, it doesn't matter. No one walks on the water. And so the wind and the waves really had nothing to do with whether he could walk on the water or not. But beginning to sink, he, be he began to be afraid and beginning to sink. And so the idea of doubt was he was hesitant, he was wavering. So he's walking and obviously he's beginning to think because Jesus asked him, why did you doubt? He's beginning to think, maybe starting to think, oh, this is bad. Oh, the wind and the waves are bad. Or maybe he's thinking, I can't do this. Whatever he did, he began to separate himself from Jesus' promise that says, come. So you say, well, what's that got to do with us? Well, a lot of us prayed for wisdom. And if you, at this point, don't know exactly what that wisdom is, you prayed, you asked God for wisdom, the Bible said he gives wisdom. So now what we do is we don't doubt we just keep thanking him. And this is one of the best ways to deal with doubt. I am thanking God for an answer before I feel and see. Before I, so I just continue to walk. Because your mind will go, you don't know what to do. God's not answering you. You don't, you know, it's not going to happen. You're not going to get any wisdom. You know, Alan got wisdom because he's a pastor and you're not a pastor. You're not even halfway close to being spiritual. What makes you think God's going to give you wisdom? And all these thoughts can come to your mind. And so this is where you have to, be, have to go, mm -mm, not thinking that. Thank you, Lord. You said if I asked for wisdom, that you would give me wisdom. And I think you said you give it to me liberally. Thank you for the wisdom. And that's one of the best ways to deal with doubt. So here, here's what you don't want to do. You don't want to get in your head and get quiet and begin to go, I don't know about this. Did I do it right? Maybe I didn't do it right. Maybe the Lord didn't hear me. I really didn't feel anything when I prayed. And you can start those thoughts. You don't want to start those thoughts. Go back to the scriptures. Go back to the promises. And we're talking about wisdom. But on anything, this is one of the values. I'm talking to people who came to church on a Wednesday night. Good for you. Because what you're doing is you're hearing something that helps you and puts faith in you. What happens out in the world that we live in? So many things take faith out of us. We need to make sure that we're putting faith in us. Listen, you'll run across a, a, a half a dozen people who will, who will tell you why God doesn't do amazing things and why it's never going to happen for you. This is why you need to have people, a family of faith, who go, I want to tell you something. I, we believe God's real. We believe he answers prayer. We believe he can show us what to do. We, I believe I can receive an answer from him. Thank you, Lord, for the answer. But you need people like that around your life. When I worked for a company years ago, I remember some people looking at me, and, they, and I, the kids were little then. And they were looking at me, they were going, 
Mm. Well, they're not teenagers. Because when they're teenagers, they're going to break your heart. Now, my kids were little at the time. I looked at them and went, I don't believe that. And they kind of took it back. I said, scriptures say, if I raise my children in the way they should go, even when they're old, they won't depart from it. Say, well, what if they did go? Well, A, they didn't. And B, why do I need to get into agreement against God's word when I can just go ahead and believe God's word and believe for the best? See, don't, don't let other people dictate to you what God can do in your life. Let God's word dictate to us what we can do. And if we've got promises, we'll take that. So all, all, of, you, all of you parents that have kids, don't start projecting the future of how bad it's going to be when they're teenagers and we're living in a horrible world and everything. Well, don't. Take God at his word. Begin to believe God's best for your kids. You might as well believe for the best. Why believe for the worst? You hear? It's quiet. But we, we've gotten so accustomed to just letting everybody else dictate to us. I want to let God's word dictate to me. His word's true. And did my kid, were my children perfect? <laughs> no. But did they turn out well? Yes. Can that happen for your kids? Yes. But let's believe God for the best, not the worst. So we're thanking him when the temptation to doubt, to waver, to hesitate, to back off from what he says, we're thanking him instead. Then James jumps, and he, James is really like a proverb. He just has like little segments, so he goes on to the next thing. James 1, 9 through 11. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as the flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with the burning heat than it withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes, so the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits." Now, he does take a huge jump. He just goes from doubting to God's kingdom, operates differently. Here's something that's really interesting. Being rich is not a kingdom advantage. So in other words, if you're rich, you have a lot of money in this life, not a kingdom advantage, not a kingdom advantage. It's a natural advantage. And so Paul is saying, tell the, the, brother, the poor brother that he just got exalted. So in other words, when, when we come to Christ, guess what? The, the playing field gets leveled. So we live in a world where if you're wealthy or if you have the look or if you have power, if you have fame, if you're important, that you're an important person. And the rest of us, we're just not important. And so there's the haves and the have-nots. Aren't you glad in God's kingdom it doesn't work that way? Aren't you glad in God's kingdom it's not... And some people have wanted to put the preachers... And, and the people who are visible, they want to put them on a pedestal. Don't put us on a pedestal. When you made Jesus your Lord, you have the same standing with God that I do. I'm going to say that again because it registered with half of you. When you made Jesus your Lord, you have the same standing with God that I do. Wait. That Billy Graham did. That joy does. Like, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> no, 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 listen. The, the playing field got leveled. You say, well, well, I'm poor. Well, you just got exalted. You say, well, I'm rich. Well, you just got lowered. Yeah. 
And it's not, it's not that you are put down. It's that in the kingdom of God, it, the kingdom of God does not acknowledge who we are in the natural. It acknowledges there's a spiritual change. We're part of the family. And so it's not a, aren't you glad? This is not, it's not a race thing. It's not a background thing. It's not, it's, it, it's beautiful. And if you, man, if you were poor and you feel like, man, no one cares about me, I'm no one in the kingdom of God, you have just as much standing to come before the throne of God as I do. And if you're rich and you think you got an advantage, you actually don't. Because, in fact, look what Paul, Paul wrote to Timothy and he told him this. He said, actually, I had another verse. Did I miss that one? It's the one in Timothy. Do you have that? It's uh, 1 Timothy 6. Does that, one, you re, does that one register? Okay, I'll read it. It says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty or to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Paul's writing to Timothy. He said, Command those who are rich in this age. You catch that? There's some people who are rich in this age. So in other words, this time, here on earth, he said, don't be haughty or high-minded. He said, and don't trust in your money. Trust in the living God. And he also encouraged them. He said, let them be rich in good works, willing to give, ready to share. And so, you know, the deal is now, you say, well, I worked hard for a moment. It's great, wonderful. But that doesn't matter to God. I'm amazed at how large an auditorium can get so quiet at one, at, one, at one time. And so it doesn't matter to him. This, that's the beautiful thing about, you know, one of the things I love about the fact that we do not have a, a quote unquote dress code here is you can't tell who's rich and who's not. I mean, you could be sitting next to a, a, you know, a multimillionaire. We have them here. Don't be looking around, just look straight ahead. We, we have them here. But you can't tell it. That's the that's one thing I love, I love about, you know, and of course, as hot as it is, we just ask that you come adequately clothed. We're not asking, <laughs> we're not asking anything else. So God's kingdom operates differently. Now, I wonder, if you like that, you're going to love this next part. Let's talk about dealing with temptation. He jumps again. So he goes from doubt to dealing with, to rich and poor. Now he starts to deal with temptation. You ready for this one? You're going to like this. this. This is going to bless you. Here we go. James 1, 12 through 15. Now you ready? Here it is. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, that word endures, perseveres, for when he's been approved, he'll receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Now, this, that's the deal. When we go line by line, we're going to hit some heavy stuff. You ready for this? Here we go. All right, dealing with temptation. He said, blessed, we are blessed when we persevere in tests and trials. This word temptation, the word it's used here, is really meaning being tempted to do wrong. Being tempted to do wrong. He says, you are blessed when you endure temptation. In other words, that under pressure, you don't give into it. We're blessed. Now, he says we are blessed because we receive the crown of life. Now, true confession. I do not know what the crown of life is. 
I looked it up, couldn't find anything else. I know that there's, the Bible talks about in Revelations that, that we will take our crowns and cast them before him. And I do know Paul said that he was running the race to win an imperishable crown. In other words, a crown that doesn't tarnish. And there is a crown of righteousness. I do not know what the crown of life is. It does sound better than the boot of correction. So <laughs> I'll take the crown of life. And so I'm not quite sure. You say, well, Alan, you're supposed to know everything. I am not. I'm, I'm learning just like you are. And so I saw that crown of life. And I'm like, well, what's the crown of life? Here's what I do believe. I believe it's good. I believe it's not cheap. It will not tarnish and turn green on you. It is, it is the crown of life. It is good. He said it will receive the crown of life to those who love him. And so the love for the Lord is a motivator for not giving in to temptation. Love for the Lord. You know, think about it. Joy and I are, uh, have been married 42 years and consecutively. And I don't really have to, to struggle to go, I'm not going to commit adultery. I'm not going to commit adultery. I'm not going to commit adultery. I'm not struggling with that because I love her. Amen. I love her. I, 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 would, I would hate to do anything to disappoint her. I, I love her. And I love the Lord. And she's Italian. Her family's got connections. It could be bad. <laughs> but love is a motivator. And love is a motivator. The, the, the fear of the Lord, the uh, Bible said, will actually turn us away from evil. And so we have to remember, we love the Lord, so we're getting to resist temptation. Temptation comes. Now here's, he begins to talk about how temptation comes. He said, do not say the temptation is from the Lord. Don't say the Lord's tempting you. Talking to a guy, one, you've heard me tell this one before, I'm talking to a guy down here one, one day after he came down after service and we were praying together. And he said, man, you got to pray for me. He said, he said, the Lord's bringing people by my house. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, some, you know, some people I used to party with and they pulled up in my, in my, my yard and said, hey, come on, we're going to go smoke some weed. And uh, I said, no, but then they came back again. The Lord, the Lord keeps bringing these people by my house. And I went, whoa, 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 brother. The Lord's not bringing weed smoking people by your house. That's not the Lord bringing that temptation on you. He said, our temptation is when we are drawn away with our own lust. Now, the word lust is, is more than just uh, sexual. Lust is strong desire. Strong desire. When we're drawn away by our own strong desire. Book of, book of John. John gives, he gives what he calls the, the, the lust of the flesh. He said, don't love the world. He's talking about this world system or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father's not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. Please leave it up just for a second. Lust of the flesh is your, is your passions. Lust of the eyes is your possessions. And the pride of life is your position. These are the three areas that trip people up. And their passions or their possessions, what they're willing to do. Some people living for money or living to, to gain stuff or their positions, who they are, the pride of life. And so it says we are we're drawn away when we're drawn away. Now, here's the thing. Everybody knows what draws you away. Everybody, and, and, don't, think, and don't think, well, I know that I look at that other person, they don't have any problem. You don't know what battles other people deal with. Amen. This is why we're told not to judge. 
Because what bothers you may not bother me. I wasn't, I wasn't big on alcohol. When, we, when, when Joy and I decided, Joy grew up with being Italian. She grew up with wine on the table. It was part of the deal. When we went to Bible school, we said, you know, we're going to be in the ministry, so we're just we're going to stop drinking. So we just stopped drinking. I, I, we haven't drank in 40-some years. And it's no big deal. In fact, you can wave the finest wine <laughs> beneath my nose and tell me this is a Chateau Blanc from 1929. <laughs> and I could care less. That doesn't, that doesn't draw me, but it might draw you. And so now you say, well, well why did you stop drinking? Now, I stopped drinking because I don't want my life to cause someone else to stumble. So in other words, if I said, I'll tell you what, man, I, I was home the other night, man, had about four or five stiff drinks, I felt really good. Well, I might not be, I may be able to handle four or five, but guess who can't? And if you've ever done the funeral of someone who died from a drunk driver, it'll cure you. So I don't, we don't want our life to stumble. I don't get on you for drinking. I choose not to. But it doesn't bother me. People say, oh, I can't believe you don't drink. Look what you're missing. It doesn't draw me. Now, when I stop smoking dope, <laughs> that was a draw. Don't look so holy and sanctimonious. Everybody's, everybody's got their own stuff. And, every, and so he's saying is, now, you say, well, and, and, he, and he goes on, he uses some unusual language. And it said, but each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin when full, full grown brings forth death, and spiritual death. How do, how, so what do I do? Here's the deal. If you don't give in to the desire, it never conceives. It never becomes sin. It's no sin to be tempted. It's only sin when we give into it. Does that make sense? Because sometimes people feel, I just, I, I can't believe it. I feel so tempted and I was so tempted. I, I just can't believe I was tempted. And that, now listen, you live in this world, you're going to be tempted. The objective is, is we get stronger and we're able not to give into it. Now, I'll be honest with you. Right now, you could wave the finest cannabis beneath my nose. And I'm going to say, bro, just get that out of my way. Why? I've not done it for so long. I've resisted for so long. It's lost its pull. Anything you want to get weaker in your life, don't give into it. Anything you want to get stronger in your life, give into it. So give into reading your Bible. Give into praying. Give into worshiping God. Give into being thankful. Give up the other stuff that's not helping you. And the more you do it, the stronger you get. Blessed is the man that endures temptation. But here's the deal we're saying this. We're saying this, this did not come from the Lord. And so recognize that all of us have those things to deal with. So he keeps going. He talks about how good God is. We're, covered, we're covering ground today, guys. Here we go. For James, again, first chapter, verses 16 through 18. Do not be, be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. 
of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Don't be deceived. It's every good gift and every perfect gift. This makes your theology real simple. If it's good, if it's perfect, if it's a blessing, it's from God. If it's destroying or killing or hurting, it's from the enemy. Does that simplify it? He said every good gift comes from God. You get cancer, that did not come from God. That is not a good gift. It did not come from God. God doesn't have it and he doesn't give it to you. And so the good gifts we receive from him, the, other, the ones that are not, we resist those that are not from him. And so he said, don't be deceived. Every good gift comes from him. Who, there's no shadow of turning. I, I, the only thing about the shadow of turning is, I heard, a, I heard a man say, he's a theologian. He said, we will get to the place in heaven where there are no shadows. Actually, on the millennial reign of Jesus on the earth, where there are no shadows because Jesus is the sun. He's complete light. And there won't be any shadows. It won't be coming from the sun. It's just we're surrounded by light. But that's a completely different thought. That's not going to change your life. But it is interesting to think about. So no shadow of turning. He doesn't change. He doesn't plan. He said, we are, we are born of him. It was his will and plan that we were born. We are first fruits of his creation. And the first fruits of his creation means we are a prime example of what he's created. That's a beautiful thing. Is We're... We're God's masterpiece. We, we, he, he say, well, you know, compared to the Rocky Mountains, you look better to the Lord than Rocky Mountains. He paid a huge price for you that he didn't pay for the Rocky Mountains. Now, Rocky Mountains are beautiful, but to God, we're a first fruits. We're the, we're the prime examples. And because we're the prime examples of his creation, he goes into the next one in James. And you're really going to love this. Because we are a prime example... James 1, 19 through 20. So then, prime examples, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Connect the two. We're the first fruits of his will. We were born again from incorruptible seed. The Bible said we are born again from incorruptible seed by the word of God which lives and abides forever. For all flesh is as grass and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. We're born of them. So we're born again of that incorruptible seed. Do you realize that, you, that your spirit man does not grow old? It's renewed day by day. We were not actually meant initially to, to die. We were not meant to die. We were meant to just regenerate, regenerate. Thank you, Adam and Eve. That killed that. But now we are new creations in Christ. We are spiritual and we're renewed day by day. Listen, we're good stuff. When, you, when we get to heaven, you're going to look really, really good. How old you are now is not how old you're going to be when you get there. Especially if you're up in age. Some of you are going... You're going to see grandma, you're going to go, whoa, grandma, you look good. I, I always tell the younger people, we were not born old. We were busting moves before you were ever even an idea in someone's mind. But when we get to, when we get to heaven, we're going to look good. And we're, and we're, oh, and we're not going to get old. <laughs> no wrinkles, no diets. We're going to look good all the time. And we are first fruits of his creation. So he said, okay, we're the first fruits of his creation. So then, because we're, we're representing him, 
Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to get angry. For God's anger, for the wrath of man, does not produce the rightness of God. This is, this, this verse, if you practice it, this is another relational changer. Swift to hear. How many of you know that really good listeners are hard to find? People that listen, and I mean just really listen, they're, just, they're quick to listen. A lot of times when you're talking to people, they're not listening. They're really, they're loading their gun behind their back. They're just, they're, they're loading up they're, what they're going to say next. If you become a good listener, I promise you, you will be a rarity and a blessing. Quick to hear, slow to speak. <laughs> Boy, how much trouble. I don't know about you, but I could have saved my life a lot of trouble if I'd learned to be slow to speak. Because when you're slow to speak, you've got time to check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> and because, man, we could come up. Have you ever said something and just thought, ah, I shouldn't have said that? It, if, if you'd have been slower, and, 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 and I've got to look here too, because I've practiced this verse in reverse for years. Slow to, slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to get angry. And the anger, I can tell you, caused a problem in my home. It doesn't work the righteousness of God. It doesn't, it, it's not a good example of us being his first fruits, his prime example of his creation. We have to realize, guys, we're good stuff. We're made good stuff. We gotta act like good stuff. There's good stuff in us. And being slow to speak and just quick to listen and slow to speak. People say, man, what's the secret of a good marriage? That's, that's one of them. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. That'll change, <laughs> that'll change everything in the home. It'll change everything in your relationships. It's a good thing. But we're not just doing it because it's like, okay, we've got to do it. We're doing it because we're representing him. And the anger of man doesn't produce the rightness of God. This is why you keep hearing me say, I say on Sunday, I'm saying, I'm saying as the church, as God's people, as his representatives, we cannot respond to the world in the same anger that they're responding with us. We can't respond to other, other people with the same anger. I know, uh, for those of you who read my devotions, read tomorrow. Because tomorrow is Jesus talking about how to live on a higher level. Not an easier level, but a higher level. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And I'll give you another great verse. Proverbs 16, 32, we'll close with this. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. He who rules his spirit than he who takes the city. I said I was going to close with that. I lied. Here we go. <laughs> I got one more. I got one more. Th th this is a good verse, and we'll close with this. Titus 3. Paul is writing, he said, remind them, us, God's prime examples, his first creations, his beloved ones. That's us, right? That's four of us. Good. I don't know. <laughs> remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, 
to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. Why would I want to do that, Alan? For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, and hateful and hating one another. Anybody say that was me? Before I knew the Lord, I was foolish or disobedient. Man, I, I, hit every, I ticked every box on that list. So why am I going to be gracious? Because God has been gracious to me. Because he has forgiven me. So I can be gracious to other people. So I can be... Because that's showing them Jesus. My wife, when we used to go into the... To the uh, I hate to go into the grocery store with my wife. I don't like grocery stores, period. But to go enjoy is an excruciating experience. Because every checker wanted Joy to come through their line. Because she would take the time to listen, to smile, to care. It's like Joy wears this shirt that says, please talk to me, I have all day. Forget the, forget the look on my husband's face, just go ahead. But her graciousness and her kindness has brought more people to church than anyone I know because they see the example. And it doesn't just work for joy. It works for you. It's prime example. Would you bow your heads for Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your goodness. Lord, thank you for how gracious you have been to us. Lord, thank you. When we were foolish, disobedient, deceived, hateful, and hating one another, you were good to us and gracious to us. Your kindness and love and mercy appeared, and your grace has shown up, and we are so grateful. Thank you. Thank you. Strengthen us to make us better examples of being your prime example. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If you came this evening and said, Alan, I don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus. I've never asked him to be the Lord and Savior of my life. Or I did that at one time. And I got away from him. I'm so far away and I want to come back. We're going to say a prayer. If that's you here, I'm going to talk to you. If I'm talking to you also online, if that's you online, there's prayers for you. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If that's you and you want in on our prayers, would you slip your hand up real quick and say, Alan, would you pray for me? Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Great. Thank you. You can put your hands down. We're going to pray. If you didn't lift your hand, you wanted to. Obviously, if you're online and can't see you, you can join us in this prayer. We're going to pray it with you as a church family. This is family here. And we're going to join you in this. Say, Dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, is the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Father, thank you for those that prayed that prayer, for those who stepped out of spiritual darkness into the light, and for those who come back home. We rejoice with them. We're grateful for all that you're going to do in them and through them. Father, thank you. They're now one of your prime examples. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message has blessed you. Don't forget to check us out on all the social platforms. We're uploading encouraging content on a regular basis. For more information, go to thearcchurch.com. Have a great week.